Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to Nerdology. It's episode 39, and my very special guest today is Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure, thank you. Um, I first heard you talking on the Prog to Who podcast. Um, they have a little sort of offshoot, which is all about Star Trek Discovery, and uh, you were really good on that, so I thought, well, I'll be very sneaky and just ask if you fancy coming on to my podcast, and uh, very thankfully you said yes. Well, that's that's one very kind of you, and two, it seems to be rather how my podcast career in inverted commas has kind of gone. <laughs> I, I started out; somebody was looking for somebody who was willing to talk about Broadchurch on a Doctor Who podcast, ah, I so I said yes to that. And then I came back and spoke about Doctor Who again, and then Suki from uh, uh, Proctor Who <laughs> kind of found me <laughs> uh, and invited me to come and have a, a, a good shot with them. So yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, maybe somebody will hear you on this podcast and drag you onto their show for something else. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it. I'm a free agent, free for hire. So I, you know, had a little bit of a chat with you via Twitter, and we were sort of bouncing ideas around. And you came up with like a sort of four-page essay on what you wanted to do. Um, do, you want, <laughs> do you want to just sort of start us off there and and see where we go from there? Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, that makes me sound terribly intense, which is possibly accurate. <laughs> or just organised, um, which is something we're not used to on this show, but you know. Well, bless. Um, I like words, so therefore words on paper always appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, I So we were speaking about the things that we care about and the mm. things that we notice, I suppose, in fandom. Mm. Um, and I am very aware of at the moment of fandoms that seem to manage change well mm-hmm. um, and do it regularly. Yeah. And those fandoms that seem to struggle a little bit more with that and the, the diversity of opinion and the changes mm. within their own fandom. Fandoms um, struggling to comprehend things? <laughs> online? I know, I know. Well, it's online certainly, I, I don't think it's helped. I don't think Twitter is really making this better, uh, which is slightly unfortunate. Um, but it, it is interesting and I, I find it... I. I like to think that I have quite a laid-back attitude about these things, that there's mm-hmm. very little that makes me cross about mm. what happens within a, fa- a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but what makes me cross is the way people respond to some of these yes. changes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think you and I are both on, on Twitter enough to realise that mm. this is not it's not solely fandom. It extends to all sorts of other places. Well, um, yeah, if you look at the way that politics is, is going at the moment, there's there's no sort of shades of grey. You're either black or white, and that's pretty much yeah. it. Which And any time sense. anybody tries to compromise, that yeah. just... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. So we'll move swiftly away from politics. Yeah, no, let's not get who... bogged down in that. <laughs> and everybody who has the joy of uh, having encountered me on Twitter will know that I'm about 60% politics, 40% nonsense <laughs> these days. But... Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, we'll see. Um, so in any case, there are definitely some examples of fandoms that I, I from where I sit, deal mm-hmm. with these things better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, so Doctor Who, we've spoken about, is is a really lovely example of where there is sort of an in-universe reason for there being a regular change. Yes, I mean, that's beautifully set up because, you know, back in the olden days of the 1960s, they realised that poor William Hartnell was not really going to be able to carry on for much longer. And so they had to come up with an idea of how to make a change of leading actor. And they did it beautifully. They did. And the fact that that as a concept has survived mm. is wonderful. They did have a couple of false starts along the way, though. They tried a, a couple of times to to sort of oust him, but um, luckily he managed to see them off. Um, <laughs> I think he managed to get rid of two producers in a very quick space of time. Um, 
there's a there's a story a 60s story i don't know if you're aware of it because i know you're not immersed in old doctor who there's a story called the um celestial toy maker no mm, it's got some slightly dodgy sort of um ethnic sort of overtones these days if you look mm. at it but um the the part of the plot that revolved around trying to dispose of William Hartnell was um, the the baddie in the story makes him go invisible and all you can see is this sort of disembodied hand trying to play this uh, game that he needs to win in order to get his body back. And the idea was that when his body came back, it would be a totally different actor playing that part. Okay. Which could have been quite tricky if they wanted to change it again. Would they have to wheel out Michael Goff again in a in a slightly dodgy sort of uh, Chinese outfit to get him to change again or so yeah I think the the way they figured it out was actually quite a good one in the end absolutely and it's interesting to know that that wasn't what they had originally intended Mm. Um, because when you stop and think about it it's such a beautiful way of phrasing it you know that this is uh, uh, an alien for whom this is normal, yeah. uh, for whom this is just part of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, or not everyday life, but it's part of their life cycle. Um, yeah. So that's wonderful. And that's not to say that there haven't been people who have been distraught when the Doctor has changed, yeah. or who haven't loved every iteration of the Doctor, but as a general rule, my understanding mm-hmm. is the Doctor who has kind of accepted that this is something that happens. And for those of us like me, who are getting on a bit, and have seen this happen quite a few times. If you're not that much of a fan of the current incumbent, it's you know it's no big deal because you know in a couple of years' time somebody else will be coming along. So you know don't just chill out. Yeah, absolutely. Relax. It's going to be everything's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose so. That's very much sort of an in-universe reason for for a character changing or an actor mm-hmm. changing who plays the character. Um, yeah. And the other uh, sort of side of that is maybe something like James Bond, whereby mm. it has just become socially the acceptable that Bond yeah. will be replaced and we will continue having Bond films mm-hmm. but with a different iteration of Bond yeah. um, and some of those changes have come with a bigger kind of universe change so it was kind of yeah. a fairly substantial reboot when we got sort of Pierce Brosnan and then again when mm-hmm. we got Daniel Craig. Well there was a bit of an outcry about Daniel Craig wasn't there? There was a, a section of fans who were absolutely livid because they couldn't ever imagine having a blonde James Bond <laughs> and what's that all about? It's interesting and you know it, it's one of the things that I am increasingly fascinated by are mm. where are the changes too big? Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that is a step too far? So, for mm. example, you know, in Doctor Who, there's been a lot of controversy over our first female Doctor. Has there? No, I must have missed that. Ah, yeah. um, and with Bond, you know, <laughs> there has been some discussion that, you know, Bond could shock horror not to be white or... Could... Hey, look, I'm, I was ready for Idris Elba back in the day, but I think, unfortunately, we've got to that point where he might be perhaps a little bit too long in the tooth now. I don't know. Well, he, to be fair, I thought Daniel Craig was a little on the mature side when they cast him, but he's done a remarkable sure. job. So you he, know. he has. He has. He's been brilliant. But equally, it's a question of... So for me, it comes down to what is the most important thing about the character? What is mm. core to that character? If somebody asked me to describe the five most important things about either James Bond or Doctor Who, I don't know that their gender or the colour of their skin would be in those top five. Hmm. Um, But, you know, for some people that's clearly important. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we've said before that, you know, if it's not your favourite iteration, that's one thing. Mm. But about Mm. how you then choose to talk about it is really difficult. 
I guess it's harder if you're a Bond fan because obviously it's a film franchise and uh, it takes a lot longer to make a movie than it does to to churn out a, a TV series. So um, I guess you know you're you're limited to a, a smaller number of stories and you're having to wait that bit longer for that change to occur. True, but equally. If the Bond that is currently on the screen is not your favourite, it does nothing Mm -hmm. to devalue the the rest of the franchise. Well, that's it. That's the other thing. Going back to Doctor Who, you know, when people have perhaps not been happy with one or another person coming in, you know, we are now at the point where we've got the best part of 55 years worth of stories that you can go back and enjoy. You can explore, you know, perhaps an older Doctor that you might not have seen before and perhaps get something from, from that if you're not getting anything from the current setup. Yeah, and you know, if for for me, a lot of it also comes down to you know what is the intention? What what was the intention of the person who was who was doing the work, who was creating this? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there are definitely some places where you're like, well, somebody's clearly out to make money. Um, mm-hmm. I might say the Disney uh, live action franchise. I can't believe you'd say. <laughs> I that. know, I mean... shocking. Disney are out to make money. Uh, Who would have believed it? I know. I know. Um, but equally, um, yeah, that's that, uh, it. Doesn't make me angry because, like you said, I think it takes quite a lot to really make you angry. But it just seems utterly pointless, really. Apart from you know, just getting that money in the bank. Yeah. Um. The, the new Aladdin. I've seen trailers for that, and I'm just thinking, well. You know, the old one was pretty good. <laughs> but, and, you know, interestingly, because yeah. Aladdin was on the list of the ones that I was outraged by. So The Lion King mm-hmm. is, and again, we haven't seen it yet, but The Lion King, I look at and I go, but they're not live action lions. They're CGI. <laughs> they're just CGI. Yeah. Um, and I believe that there's all sorts of controversy over the fact that they have literally taken the animator's work from the originals and kind of recreated it frame by frame. Oh, really? And there's no oh, credit going to the work that was done by those original animators. Yeah, that's not cool, not is it, really? really. Um, if that's what they've done. But, yeah. but on the other side of that, in Aladdin, what I'm now hearing is that actually, you know, it's silly things like there were quite a lot of quite white people uh, in Aladdin, mm. given where the story was set, mm. and they've kind yeah. of they've, yeah. they've re- rectified that. And, you know, mm. um, Jasmine has been given her own song and a bit more of her own yeah, motivation. Yeah, I did hear that in a review, and they said it's a bit more, you know, so, she's more in, in control of her own sort of destiny yeah. rather than... Just, you know, being the damsel in distress. So perhaps there's a little bit more value in that. And that's something yeah. that I... And again, you're right. Like, my original reaction to that was like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> um, but it, it is interesting. And so where that line sits and what we accept and what we respond to and how we respond to it, is, it, it's, it keeps coming back through in my kind of observing of what's going on. But, it, you know, we need to be frank that I, I don't always respond well. And certainly when I was slightly younger, I responded very poorly to some things. <laughs> Um, Come on, you you can't just say that. You have to give us an example. Okay, so I uh, I have been a massive Sherlock Holmes fan since I was a very small child. Uh, I say very small. Oh, right. I was like under ten, I think, when I was first introduced to Sherlock Holmes, um, and mm. I was given um, an audio book with some radio dramatizations by the BBC. Oh, fantastic! Um, and they're just fabulous. Um, you mm. know, I've read all the books. I like. I just I love it. Um, and at various mm-hmm. stages, I've kind of discovered iterations. So mm. I was introduced to the BBC radio stuff really early on. So that's kind of... Is that Clive Merrison? Yeah. And, uh, and they've yeah, recorded everything and it's beautiful. Um, mm. And even as an adult, I go back to those and I listen to those quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've discovered the Granada TV adaptations with uh, Jeremy Brett. I suppose it's because of the age I am. Just yeah, wonderful. He's so good. And there's something yeah. so British about the 1980s iteration of Victorian London. I just, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so these things are things that I'm very fond of. Uh, they mean a lot mm-hmm. to me. You know, I have a link. Um, so I'm from Edinburgh. So there's like an Arthur Conan mm-hmm. Doyle thing going on. Sure. Um, yeah. And so sometimes, uh, sort of over the last ten or fifteen years, there have been some interesting adaptations appeared. Um, so it should be noted that when Sherlock was first slated, I was super excited because for me there was mm-hmm. such a clear love for the material. Like right from yeah. the start, uh, Stephen uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Moffat and uh, Mark Gatiss, like they just clearly loved it, um, mm-hmm. and there was so there had been lots of changes made, but it was being done with respect for the original, yeah. for with a real understanding of the characters. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes film, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes film, <laughs> may, like even now it makes me not not angry, but maybe slightly cross. Because um, I'm like, call it James Bond in the Victorian era. Call it. Some... I mean, I enjoy them on their own terms, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Mm, they're not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're fine. They're and you know, as an adult, I have now watched them both and kind of gone right, okay, they're not great. But you know what? It doesn't stop there being value in the original source material. Um, Elementary is another really good example of that. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, there's a bit of me that goes right. So an American TV show saw that Sherlock had done really well and went, oh, let's let's make mm-hmm. an American version of it. <laughs> and it's interesting. So, like, to be brutally frank, things that don't upset me, I don't care that Lucy Liu is playing Watson. That doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. Um, but what bothers me is the fact that the the core behaviour of the character seems to have shifted so much. Um, mm. And again, you know, I've now watched a little bit more of that because I got about halfway through the first episode and switched off. <laughs> I've gone back yeah. and I've revisited it. <laughs> Rage yeah, indeed. Uh, a bit more calmly. And actually, there is a value to it. Mm. And again, maybe I would prefer if they hadn't like been so literal and they're like, this is Sherlock Holmes uh, in America. Because mm. um, mm. things like House are also wonderful, where there's lots of understated reference to the to the source mm-hmm. material. Um yeah, but that's definitely been a journey for me. <laughs> there was a file there where I was very, <laughs> very cross about it. I feel like you've grown as a person. Yeah. It sounds like you're learning <laughs> to control your feelings, yeah. and you've you know you've worked Indeed. it out. Indeed, I will yeah. rage. I still rage a lot. Um, I think I was listening to <laughs> a, an episode from a, a little while ago where you had a, a body on who was very, very cross about. Uh, oh, was it twice upon a time? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's Bless Ben. ben. Yeah, he's he gets very passionate. But I understand his passion. It's like I yeah, didn't yeah. necessarily have quite the same reaction, but I mm-hmm. absolutely understood that level of. And at no point was he rude or obnoxious about the intention behind it. Um, and I think no. me, that's where, like, you can be passionate and you can care and you can argue that something isn't mm-hmm. right, but it's about how yeah. we do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so what about you? Have you had anything where you have just about crossed the crossed the Rubicon and well, never come back? I think um, going back to Doctor Who, um, back when I used to do the old Blue Box podcast, uh, it would get raised from time to time about, oh, what do you think the idea about having a woman Doctor Who? And I'll admit, back in the day, I was a bit reticent, thinking, well... Maybe I'm just old-fashioned and a bit of tradition. I just thought, well, you know, I just like it being a male character. I don't, you know, why can't we have, like, a, a really strong new female character that doesn't have to necessarily be the Doctor? But that said, when they announced Jodie Whittaker, I got really super excited. Um, I just, it just really enthused me, and I felt like it was going to give the whole series a whole sort of fresh new look. Um, and a different sort of ethos because 
I love Peter Capaldi, and obviously being a Scot, I'm guessing you might be a bit of a fan. I would like to think uh, I'd be a fan either way, but yeah, so it's been fun. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. two Scottish yeah, doctors, no, only one of them sounded Scottish, but we'll move yeah. to it later on. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, no, he is an amazing actor, and uh, whoever's going to follow him was always going to be slightly up against it. Um, but I think... I don't know. I really like Jodie Whittaker. I've seen her in other things before, uh, Broadchurch, and um, oh, I've forgotten the name of it now. The, the one where she um, fakes the ID of a she's a nurse and she fakes the ID of a doctor and uh, pretends to be Ooh. a doctor. Uh, it was a BBC drama. It's really good. I forget what it's called now. I have to <laughs> Google it sometime. Uh, she was really okay. good in that. Um, but I felt like the, the her first series. I don't really have a problem with her. I think she's great, but I'm not sure the character has quite hit the ground yet. Maybe that's like a slow burn that they're working their way up to, but I didn't feel like there were too many sort of, you know, I am the doctor moments. But then again, you know, maybe she doesn't have to prove herself like, you know, most guys, you know, maybe she's already, you know, cool with who she is. But again, you know, the way that you're stating that, is is in a positive light and for me you know mm-hmm. you know what she's not probably my favorite doctor yet um and this season yeah. has had like the last season had some amazing episodes in it like nobody could argue yeah. i love the history yeah i was about to say nobody could argue that rosa or demons of the punjab was not important television no they were um, excellent but i agree that there were problems um but mm. i think for me it felt very much like the problems Maybe came from expectation, but more came yeah. from from the 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 kind of overarching control. So perhaps from Chris Chibnall as opposed to uh, opposed to the Doctor. Mm-hmm. And I, and this is where again, I don't know that Twitter sphere really helps with this. That I, mm-hmm. there's the way that you choose to frame that argument to say that even if, if Jodie Whittaker's Doctor is not your favourite Doctor, that's absolutely fine. Mm. Even if you actively dislike it, even if you're never going to watch any more of her in it, even if you would like her to be replaced, yeah. that is all fine. To say that we mm. have now had a female Doctor and to say that that doesn't work and that you never, you just want it to, going back, to, you just want it to go back to being mm. a man, that's where I have a problem. Because that mm-hmm. falls into that awful trap of saying, well, we tried this one thing and this one thing didn't work. So let's go back to the other 12 iterations that we've had. Um, and for me, that feels like it comes from a different place. Um, and it's something that we need to test because we all we all say things and we all have stray thoughts that are perhaps less than gracious or come from a place yeah. of yeah, it's But I think most of us have that sort of um, self-awareness to think, well, actually... No, Mark, you're being a bit of an idiot there, or you know, just wait and see what happens, and you might actually change your mind. Yeah, you know? and it's about but, stopping um, and, and, mm. and questioning that. And I, so one of the things that I think is really important is seeking out voices that you're perhaps not hearing about it. So you know, I, I had feelings about the the or um, you know, when I have a concern about something, I try and find mm-hmm. a voice that is is more experienced in that area so like as a woman i have Mm -hmm. certain opinions on things and that doesn't mean that every woman is going to agree with me but i come at it from perhaps a slightly different place and but i am not Mm -hmm. of an ethnic minority i don't have a disability i'm cisgendered and straight you know there are lots of people who have uh, experiences that are very different from mine Um, Mm -hmm. and i consciously try and see if i can seek out somebody who can kind of educate me and it doesn't mean i agree with everything that i hear 
but it does mean no but it's giving you a well, more balanced hopefully view, it's given it? me the opportunity to to learn more and to develop because <laughs> i think that's really important and there is a danger as well with with social media that you can get yourself into a sort of um protective bubble of people who only share the same views Absolutely. as you which you know the phrase echo chamber gets it used does a lot. and i think fandom is really bad for that um, and I think we mm. often find ourselves sitting on one side of a divide or another. And it's mm. not helpful or healthy. Um, and it's very easy to say this as somebody who comes from, as a, a general rule, not a minority. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I actively listen to podcasts where I disagree with people. Um, Proctor who might be a good example. And <laughs> the guys who run that would will know that I have been known to to call them out because I think it's really important that mm-hmm. you do. Um and yeah. when I accepted Suki's invitation to come and speak on the Discovery Log podcast, I, I had a conversation mm-hmm. with myself about what I would or would not tolerate in that environment. Um, and the guys are lovely, like don't yeah. get me wrong, in that in that case there was, there was absolutely nothing untoward there. Um, but there are some people who are mm-hmm. associated with that podcast who have opinions that I actively disagree with. Um, but mm-hmm. I think it's really important that we, we try and do that and we try and call each other out in a civil as manner as we can manage. Yeah, that's it. And I slip too. <laughs> uh, I am not a white horn. I think, or um, I'm not a charger. No, I'm not a charger on a white steed. Whatever the appropriate <laughs> phrase is, the turn of phrase is. Yeah, I think we all have things that we get very passionate about. And sometimes that can spill over and just, you know, you may not necessarily, you know, mean to come across in a bad way, but it can just kind of come over that way to someone who's listening, perhaps from the other side of the debate. Possibly. It is, and we see it all the time. And there are... You know, pretty much every day there are there are little eruptions within certain fandoms about people who have said certain things or groups of fans mm. who are taking sides with one person or another. And again, it comes back to how we choose to talk to each other and how we go about it. So I've said that I think it's really important mm. to seek out voices from minorities. I think it's also really important for us not to speak for them. I think as soon as we start doing that, it gets very messy. Um you know, I can stand mm. up and say, as a woman, I feel this way. I detest nothing more than being told what I feel as a woman, uh, particularly by other mm. women. Oh, like, w- <laughs> women don't want this. Well, you're, you're, some, some of them maybe do. Yeah, thanks for speaking yeah, yeah, for yeah, us yeah, all. Absolutely yeah. nothing like homogenising a group, is there? Um, and, you know, we speak... Because <laughs> you're all the same, obviously. Um, but we speak about mansplaining, yeah. and it is an awful thing that does happen. Mm. Um, but... I think you've got that wrong, actually, Lindsay. Oh, sorry. Uh, apologies. Yeah. Apologies. Clearly, no, it's okay. As long as yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, equally, there's there's you know white person splaining. There's there's cis splaining. Yeah. You know, we we sometimes think that we know best. Even even if we're trying to be an ally, that doesn't always come across the way that we would intend it to. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think sometimes when we try to play the protector, and even with the best of intentions, we sometimes end up getting ourselves in bigger trouble. Because mm. we're all human and we all say things that are perhaps slightly less well thought out than they could be, or that people take to mean things that they that we haven't intended, yeah. um, and you get yourself into all sorts of trouble that way. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's so easily done, but we need to try and avoid making assumptions about somebody and also uh, saying things without thinking them through. I think both of those things are equally. Oh, it's so nice to hear a voice of reason and just talking about this. It's amazing. 
Well, flex. <laughs> There's talking sense, and then you go to my Twitter feed, and you see me getting very cross at people who. Oh well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, I, I I don't like being told I'm not Scottish because I come from Edinburgh. I don't like being told that I want independence because we have a majority SNP government. I don't like being told what I think as a woman or what I should or should not feel about something that a person doesn't necessarily have a, a better placed view on than mine. Um, so I I will stand up and argue with you if you. Uh, if you tell me what I think. <laughs> However, Scots people arguing, I can't. I know, I know. Uh, to be fair, that's possibly one of my favourite Doctor Who moments of all time. He's uh, like, oh, I'm <laughs> Scottish, I could be cross. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, it's one of our better traits, so I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, so it is interesting, and I think when we, if we take it back to, to fandom and about the changes mm-hmm. that we struggle with, um, I, you know, I like to set myself on my high horse about Sherlock Holmes now. Um, but mm-hmm. there are various other things that I look at and go, oh, they're, they're probably going to remake this, aren't they? And yeah, <laughs> it's about taking the time to kind of stop and breathe because, you know, I'm oh, I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. Massive. Oh, okay, um, yeah. It was one of my first loves and probably one of my first kind of proper obsessions. I feel I know where you're going with this particular <laughs> strand, yeah. Well, you know what? It's interesting because it is inevitable. They're going to remake it at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Um and even what we're getting now in terms of, um, oh, what's it called Fantastic Beasts. There are various changes yeah. that are kind of being worked through. Mm-hmm. And on some level, there are bits of it that I go, okay, well, I have to trust that J.K. Rowling created these characters and she cares for them. Now, I might not agree with what yeah. she's choosing to do or to change, but, you know, she mm-hmm. she has a right to them. Um, we don't. We certainly don't own them more than she does. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how attached we may be to them. Um, but, you know, there are some bits, you know, for example, there are some films that are atrocious um, and miss some of my favourite bits. And maybe if they were to remake them, they would include those favourite bits and that would be great. Mm-hmm. And while nobody will ever be McGonagall in the way that Maggie Smith is McGonagall or Alan Rickman ah, is Snape. Quality, isn't well, she? this is it. Like both both Alan Rickman and Maggie Smith are, are my are my all time favourites. Um, yeah. But, you know what, maybe somebody else could bring a different something. And, Mm-hmm. I, nothing will degrade their performances or their legacy or their kind of imagery. Um, so you know, I'm I'm kind of I, if it does happen, I would like to go and sit with an open mind. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see. There was a I I don't know. Have you, have you seen the most recent Fantastic? Beast I'll be film? honest. I haven't seen either <gasps> of them. Shocking and appalling. I know. I know. My wife's a big big fan of um, well J.K. Rowling as a whole, but particularly Harry Potter mm. and. Um, she hasn't seen them either, as far as I'm aware. We don't get out to the cinema as often as we used to, so um, we ought to really remedy that. And uh, perhaps, because I'm guessing they're probably, well, certainly the first one will be out. Oh, absolutely. To I think now, so. But... The first one I would say is, is probably better than the second. But the second mm-hmm. one brings back some lovely kind of um, musical themes and things that just take you straight back, and that's mm-hmm. a wonderful thing. Um, I won't yeah. say too much, but there is a character who reappears in the second mm-hmm. film. And logically, they shouldn't be there. <laughs> and I'm like, right, okay, JK, <laughs> right, okay. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt for the time being, but a bit of head going. Well, on. given how much information she has given us about certain peripheral characters, and we can talk another mm-hmm. time about how much I love a good background character. <laughs> but yeah, so she's built those background characters really well, and we know quite a lot about some of them. And then for one mm-hmm. of them to appear in this 
in this film and you go, well, you're not even supposed to be bored yet, really. This is weird. <laughs> um, so in any case, it'll be interesting to see how she takes that, but I'm trying very hard to wait and give her the benefit of the doubt until we get uh, a little more a little more detail. I'm sure there was a reason for it, I'm sure. <laughs> well, how, how many are they planning to make of the, the Fantastic Beasts? Is it like a trilogy or have they got I more I think planned, it might be five. Oh, okay. Uh, so space there to sort yes. of... Yes! And, and you know, if she's done it for a reason, if that character is then going to go on to have a really mm-hmm. important role to play or she's going to manage to f- mm-hmm. fix is not the right word, but if she's going to manage to kind of correct some of our previous misconceptions, that would be interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I must admit, I have to... Uh, I have to go and search that out because I haven't. I've seen the trailers and stuff, and it looks really good. Yeah, um, they're not life changing, I don't think, but I do enjoy them. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about um, successful uh, franchises during our little Twitter exchange, and um, we were talking about <clears throat> what could have been in in certain franchises. So, I think one of the things I remember co- cropping up in the conversations. I think we both quite fond of the lord of the rings Love films. Them. yeah um me personally not so much the hobbit films agreed <laughs> yeah so, yeah um and just how different they might have been because originally guillermo del toro was penciled in to direct the hobbit films and then through various reasons outside of the his control um uh, it ended up reverting back to peter jackson yeah and i think so again, my, my association with those is quite long. My dad read us The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings when we were very little. Yeah, so good on him. He mm-hmm. read them to me and then he read them to my little sister four years later. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Wow, a bit, that's hardcore. It is. It's a bit of an epic. Um, so therefore, I'm very fond of them. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think I kind of went into the films fairly open-minded um, yeah. and was totally blown away. Like The Lord of the Rings films are as close to a perfect... Uh, creation of something of that ilk, as I think you're going to get. They're so faithful, aren't they? And particularly, they are. You know, for uber nerds like myself, who, I my history with um, those books, our teacher in our final class of primary school read us The Hobbit mm. over a series of lessons, and um, I had the sort of all-in-one hardback of uh, Lord of the Rings. I think it was, was it the fiftieth. No, it can't be the fiftieth. I don't know. Anyway, it was like an anniversary mm. edition that came out. And I would read that every Christmas because when I first left school, I was in a job where the whole place would shut down for a couple of weeks. So I just immersed myself in that, uh, reading that for that space of time. Um, and I think the the love and care that they put into making those Lord of the Rings films was just immense. It was. And there are definitely challenges there, as in there's... It's a very male-dominated story, but that's mm. not Peter Jackson's fault. That's what no. J.K. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien wrote. Um, mm. And you know there have have been conversations more recently about the fact that it's also a very white story, which is yeah. true. You sit there and go, okay, no, you're absolutely correct. There are mm-hmm. several species, all of which are entirely Caucasian. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't notice that. And part of that is is being in a blessed position, whereby it's not something that I look out for. Mm. Um, but that said, they're beautiful films. They're just stunning. Um, the Hobbit, I knew as soon as it was three films we were going to be in trouble, because let's face it, The Hobbit is shorter significantly 
the, the Lord of the Rings. It, it yeah. didn't need three films. There was a lot of random stuff shoved in there. And I know a lot of it came from elsewhere in the canon. It came from um, the Silmarillion or, or um, places mm-hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't ideal, I don't think. No, it's, I was surprised when they announced it was going to be two films, frankly, for The <laughs> the Hobbit when they first said. And then when they said it was going to be three, I was just really... That's when alarm bells started ringing for me, really. It just didn't seem... I don't know. But that said, I think, so despite my frustrations, like I have mm. no doubt that Peter Jackson set out to make a good film or a good oh, series of films. Yeah. He did it with love. He clearly loves the material. Mm-hmm. He clearly is passionate about what he can do. Um, and while the end result isn't perfect, I'm kind of glad it was him that did it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if we'd had The Hobbit by... Um, I'm going to try and say his name and fail, Guillermo del Termo. Um, mm-hmm. I think if we'd had that, it wouldn't have felt like it came from the same world. No, no. And that he has a very distinct look to his to his film. He does, and that's I not bad. I think it would have married quite nicely with the way that Peter Jackson works. Um, have you seen much of Guillermo del Toro's work? Um, I've seen a couple of things. Um, mm-hmm. I saw Pan's Labyrinth, which yeah, that's. I, that's a really great well I liked it yeah. it's not my favourite but again uh, maybe I was just too young and too naive at the time like I, I haven't mm-hmm. revisited anything recently um, and I've seen The Shape of Water some of the real which is world, wonderful uh, right. some of the real world, world stuff in uh, Pan's Labyrinth is pretty hard going but the, the fantastical element is amazing yeah really beautifully done and I think and again this is one of those interesting where fandoms kind of collide moment that I I love bits of sci-fi and I love bits of fantasy but mm. there are areas that I struggle with a little bit more Yeah. and so we've spoken about the fact that I am not a huge Star Wars fan but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that I don't enjoy other people's enjoyment of it so I, yeah. I work in a, a kind of geeky environment where we all love Marvel and Star Wars and Star Trek and mm-hmm. uh, all of that kind of nonsense um, but you know it means that I'm happily going to cover the shift on the the, the release dates of the Star Wars films so they can all go see it at midnight um, and then we have to you know fight it out for Marvel releases um, yeah but yeah so some of those things are not perhaps in my wheelhouse as much as they are with other sci-fi and fantasy fans hmm. but that's that's okay that's okay I think it's interesting because I, I also aware that I believe um, Amazon Prime are doing a Lord of the Rings thing yeah I think it's going to be a kind of um it's going to be set in the second age, so that's before what happens in the Lord of the Rings mm. movies. So that's going to be a a new take on. I think they've got. I think I may have heard somewhere that they've got someone from Game of Thrones involved in the making of it. Um, I don't think they're going to go quite to um, Game of Thrones levels of you know debauchery and incest and stuff. Well, but, those elves, um, you know, you never know. <laughs> well, yeah, they are a funny bunch. Um, yeah, no, I think, um, I don't know. I'll I'll wait and see. Rather than prejudging it, I'll wait and see. I'm hoping it's going to be good. Time will tell whether it will or yeah, not. Yeah, and I think... They're putting a lot of money mm, into it, so obviously they want it to work. Absolutely. And I think, again, it comes back to that point of, well, you know what, even if it's not, like the Lord of the Rings films, are they're going to be there for a while. Um you know, we might not enjoy The Hobbit, but that doesn't detract from the value of the Lord of the Rings films. And I think we'll, no, absolutely. we need to be better at seeing that. So kind of overshadowing mm-hmm. all of this, and we 
kind of I've only just kind of touched on it is the the mm-hmm. challenge of Star Trek because of all the communities that I am involved with, it is mm-hmm. by far the most kind of aggressively cliquey. Really, and I I really struggle with that because it's just not how I see or understand what the mm-hmm. ideals behind it are. I do get a bit of that from because my comfort zone is Doctor mm. Who. I'm I, I love Star Trek, but I think I'm I definitely class myself as a casual fan rather than someone who's you know you know really hardened you know someone who's a, a an aficionado perhaps. Mm. And um, there is a there is a degree of that kind of I think the phrase that gets used is gatekeeping in in Doctor Who to a degree. Um, but uh, maybe I just only really mix with nice people online, but I don't tend to see that quite so much. Yeah, and I'm sure they exist, and there certainly there was a lot of vitriol about the Thirteenth Doctor. Uh, so yeah, you're, you're not wrong. There. <laughs> there, it's not that there are, that any of these other fandoms are free from it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just I find it there is there is a small minority who who need to be obtusely rude about a bit of the franchise they don't enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. But even within the open and accepting kind of side of it, it does get very much us and them. Um, really? And I don't think that most people intend it to be that way, but it it does come back down to the way that we talk about it and the way that we discuss it. You know, and there are lines. Mm-hmm. So there is there is just no need for anybody to be tagging creators and, oh, no, and going off on one. Happens. And I'm like, well... Clearly, they didn't set out to ruin your childhood. So, could we just rein it back no. in, please? Um, <laughs> or the infantile need to refer to a bit of the franchise by the the acronym STD, uh, and I'm just Ooh. like, and they're like, oh well, you know, it's just following the pattern. No, it's not. We don't call it STTNG. We don't call it STVOY. Like, can we just not? Everyone knows or it's DSC, disco. Or like, yeah, precisely. And it's 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 yeah. clearly they're setting out to antagonise and to to in, mm-hmm. enrage people. Um, mm. And you know, it comes with you know, well, anybody who enjoys this is also of whatever. Um, and that's it's just unnecessary. And it's so. Yeah. I'm loath to refer to to Roddenberry's vision because I don't like we we sometimes forget that Gene Roddenberry was in it for the money as much as anybody else um, <laughs> and we've changed and what Star Trek is and what Star Trek means has changed but yeah this vitriolic kind of attitude or this antagonistic approach is nothing like Discovery is not my favorite Star Trek and there are plenty of pro- problems with it but you know what it's only mm. on season two and it's it's been brought yeah. back and it, that's a good thing like it's not perfect but you know what neither is TNG or Voyager mm. and the original series has got its own shelf of problems you know I love <laughs> the fact that the original series exists because we wouldn't have the rest of the franchise without it and they well, did some it, incredible yeah. things at the time but it's not my favourite Star Trek it's not inverted commas mm. my Star Trek but that doesn't mean that people shouldn't enjoy it or that I'm going to to antagonise anybody who does, but we we just aren't good with that line. We just aren't. However, mm. we could all be better. I think <laughs> <laughs> we could all be better. And sometimes you just have to ignore the trolls because you're never going to change their mind. But uh... no, it's true. Um, yeah, I, there's well, 
the, the phrase is don't feed the trolls. So just you know. but sometimes a good argument is just so much fun. <laughs> and again, that comes from a place where I would only do that when I felt in, emotionally or mentally in the right place to do that. Um, and I will occasionally yeah. engage on my own terms. Um, and I take a strange pleasure in being the last one to respond. <laughs> but no. It can get quite nasty. It can. Can't it? And it gets very I mean, personal. Uh, and that's not that's not helpful mm, at all. Um, no. You get people piling on and it gets a bit... Um, and it happens in both directions. It crosses a line, doesn't it? We, we all like to jump in and mm. defend our friends. And it's difficult because you can love somebody and you can, or you can be very close to them and you can be their friend without agreeing with them 100% of the time. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. we all get it wrong. And, and you know, this is, this is true in politics and it's true in real life and it's true in fandom that sorry is sometimes all you can say, but it's not always enough. Um, yeah. And sometimes yeah, people just true. don't want to hear it, uh, so it's there is no there is no um, silver bullet, I don't think. But it would do us all good, I think, to think a little harder and speak a little less sometimes. Hmm. Amen <laughs> to that. <laughs> now I'm going to rewind a bit. You mentioned earlier about um, what, something you particularly enjoy when you're watching TV shows is really well written secondary characters characters that sort of come along just for that particular story and do you have any particular ones that really stand out you feel really Um, yeah i suppose so when i say secondary characters what i suppose i mean are the kind of peripheral continuing characters um so people Mm. who appear and who are not the focus and are never going to be the focus but i just they they bring Mm. me a strange kind of joy so a classic example of that would be in harry potter mcgonagall is by far my favorite character Mm. and probably has a total of maybe 20 pages in the entire seven books um maybe a little wow. bit more than that but she is she is absolutely a peripheral character like i'm not particularly bothered by harry mm-hmm. ron or hermione um but for me mm-hmm. the value in a well-written story is that even those peripheral characters are given depth and care and you believe that they're people um or even in, mm-hmm. in sherlock i love mycroft mycroft is my favorite <laughs> so again yeah. clearly not <laughs> the primary character by any stretch um but those are kind of where i kind of I often find my affection kind of uh, sticking. Well, I, I like in. No. Sorry to interrupt. In um, in old Doctor Who, uh, you you'd have like a story that would go on for like maybe four to six mm-hmm. weeks, perhaps, and uh, you'd have like a an ensemble cast for that particular story. And um, there've been some great ones over the years. One that really stands out for me. I don't know if it's one that you've seen. Uh, it's a Tom Baker story called The Stones of Blood. Yes, I have. <laughs> and there's a character in that, and she is fantastic. Um, she, oh, God, her name is just Is it The Professor? I was thinking about or... this morning. Yeah, The She's Professor. She's excellent, isn't she? <laughs> mm. um, oh, what's she called? I honestly um, can't remember. My brain's gone blank. How annoying. Hang on a minute. I can just edit it down. <laughs> no, surely not. Let's be honest and open about no. it. What? What? No, no, no. no. I was literally Amelia Rumford. Oh, that's dear. it. Amelia Rumford. I have, look, it's before I got Chrome up, but it, I didn't even have to oh, open it up. Look. And she is played by an actress. I am going to look her up because she apparently was quite the star back in the day. 
Um, I love that though, and I love the fact that we seem to be in a bit of a, a, a era where this is happening a bit more often because obviously that's was recorded some time ago. But I love the number yeah. of um, mature actresses who are still getting given roles, and for mm. whom there is still interesting things happening. So she's played by an actor called Beatrix mm-hmm. Lehman. And she'd been in quite a lot of high-profile stuff back in the day. And I think this might have been one of her last roles, but I think Tom Baker at that point uh, was not the easiest of characters to get along with. Um, He could be quite prickly, shall we say. Um, But they just fell in love with each other as soon as they met. And uh, I think it was almost like a contest to see who could be the most bonkers and out there. And I think she gives him a really good run for his money. But, um, I love it when that happens, though, she, and I think sometimes yeah. actors, like, things bring out the best in, in each other, um, and mm-hmm. you see that, and you're, it's just wonderful. We're kind mm. of privileged to get an insight into some of these things sometimes. We were speaking about Lord of the Rings earlier. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Elrond? I don't know if you know who Elrond is. Well, presumably. Oh, yes, that's, yeah, it's um, yeah, Chappie from The Matrix. Yes, yeah, so it's played it? by Hugo Weaving in the film. That's but Elrond right, yeah. is like my favourite character, <laughs> right? Okay, and that's that's even in the books. That's pretty extreme left field. It is a bit. And he's got twin sons, and he was a twin, and his twin chose to be a human and died. And it's a whole big thing, um, and I love that. Like I love it. Mm. Um, and I so one of the bits of fandom that I quite enjoy is I, I do love a bit of fanfic. Um, oh right, I've never really delved into that. So, but um, it's it's an interesting I it place. Goes far and wide, it does, and some of it's wonderful. Some of it, you know, you look at some of the official publications from either you know Doctor Who or Torchwood or, or Star Trek, and you go, I've read better fanfic. Mm-hmm. Um, not naming any names. <laughs> um, but equally, some of it's horrific and awful and shocking. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you got to look for the diamonds in the rough. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, there's less editing to get rid of the rough with the world of fanfic. <laughs> um, but for me, again, a good character is somebody who is inspired, who we have enough of, mm-hmm. that there is something there that fandom can kind of build around or work around and kind of create uh, in, in relation to. Um, and that that's that can be really interesting as well. And even if it's so, I've learned over the years that there are often you know concepts where you're like, why why would you do this? Oh, this is an AU set in the future where actually this person's a vampire and this person's like a, a werewolf <laughs> killer. And you're like, okay. And occasionally you read the first chapter and you're like, mm. but I have now <laughs> often enough been so taken aback with the care that somebody has taken to maintain mm. the integral value of the character, even in the, a slightly ridiculous situation, <laughs> that you can totally buy in. Now, that doesn't yeah. always happen by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and there are certain things that I don't touch. Like, I have no interest in these people running pizza parlours. Or, you know, <laughs> there's, there's really weird trends that you find, like, everybody's doing this and everybody's then doing that. Or, you know, okay. don't ask me why. I have no idea where these things come from somewhere. I feel like I've led a very sheltered life now. Oh, and this is only, this is only the decent tip of the iceberg that I'm sharing <laughs> yeah. with you. Yeah, I've, I've heard there's some... Um, yeah. Or more specialist um, there is. stuff out there. And I, let's not go down that no, particular absolutely not. hole. Um, but for <laughs> me, that that's maybe helped kind of solidify what it is that I think is important in a character. 
Mm. You know, actually, you know, if we're talking about Sherlock, you know, what is it about Sherlock that transcends where he lives or the time and era in mm. which he lives? Like, what is it about, you know, this character that makes them still this character, even if they've got a different profession or they live in a different era? Like, those are the things that matter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good opportunity to stop and go. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I would never have thought about that, but you know. <laughs> Have you been inspired to make your own? Uh, I have been known to pen the odd thing. Um, oh. no. <laughs> Some of it better than others. For perusal, or is it something uh, you just do for your own pleasure? Uh, no, they, I have been. Yeah, I have been known to share one or two odd things. Uh, I'm oh. sure those who are interested in such things can find me. Um, <laughs> there, yeah, and I think. I don't know where that sentence was going. <laughs> it was going down a rabbit hole one way or the other. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I, I, so speaking about why, why it is we need to, or what, that core value of the character, um, mm. I kind of, my nerdiness kind of truly developed, so a combination of Harry Potter and Star Trek um, mm-hmm. in my formative years, um, and I, I came across Voyager, at, or Voyager was released in the UK at just the right time for me, you know, I'd uh-huh. seen some TNG I had seen the odd episode of, of the original series or maybe the odd movie. Um, mm-hmm. But Voyager just totally captured my imagination. But it was being shown at the same time as DS9, which I just didn't ah. really enjoy that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, neither of my parents are very nerdy. And I certainly wasn't uh, you know, encouraged to go to cons and things. And no. without you know the internet being the crazy way that it is today, mm-hmm. I just at no point was it ever kind of drilled into me that I must love it all. Well, that's, you know... And that's probably quite a healthy place to be at, really, I think. Well, I think it's something that we've kind of lost in some ways. Like, we're not so good at... Like, there's an expectation now that, you know, if you like Doctor Who, you must like it all, or you're only, like, a half fan, or if you only, mm. you know... Or if you don't enjoy this type of story. Well, unless you've watched all the episodes in chronological order. <laughs> Absolutely. Back to front three times over. Uh, yeah. But, you know, like, we're all different, and for some people... That said, I really do want to do that, but, you know, that's, that's an aside. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there, <laughs> like I, yes... I have many feelings about people who claim to like Harry Potter and have never read the books. Um, oh, feelings, strong feelings. <laughs> but you know what? They, if they enjoy it, they enjoy it. And if they don't get as much out of them or out of the story as they could, if they had read the books as well, that's kind of hmm. just a thing. Um, and about how we talk about that. So one of the things I love about Doctor Who is that I've, I've said to you before that I haven't seen most of the, the original stuff. Yeah, but if there are places where you know I can go and listen to people talk enthusiastically about oh, and there was this thing that was a reference to that episode, and that's so lovely, mm-hmm. and you know oh, and did you see this picture of that person? And you're like, okay, I didn't know that, but you've shared that with me, and you've shared it with joy, and you haven't mm-hmm. criticised me for not having spotted it. Um, I think that is so so key. Yeah, I think. Um... And one of my uh, podcasts that I used to subscribe to a lot, um, which perhaps doesn't put out episodes too often these days, um, is called Mostly Harmless Cutaway. Okay. And it's the main guy behind that is um, someone called Eric Escamilla, who's been on my show a few times in the past. And he has like a a running sort of uh, list of guests who come on. And for a while they had um, a woman called Kat, who does her own show called Sci-Fi Party Line, which is also very good. Um, and she hadn't seen an awful lot of old Doctor Who. So they would pick a 
a random story for her to watch. And then she'd come back and say what she thought about it. And I used to love hearing those episodes because it was like you were seeing it through a fresh pair of eyes again. And you were just kind of getting that little bit of joy from hearing them talk about their experience of watching it. And it's just, it's really nice. There's um, an amazing series of podcasts uh, that I came across quite early on in my podcasting life um, Mm. called Unspoiled. Oh, I've um, so it's it's a, um, it's kind of there's a primary host uh, who's in the states, um, and the kind of mm. concept is that they go through a series or a book or whatever mm-hmm. with somebody who knows the material really well, and somebody who's yeah. never read it before. Okay. So, for example, she managed to find somebody who had not seen the Harry Potter movies or read the books, um, wow. and they did a podcast on like every two chapters. And you just mm-hmm. get to hear somebody reading it for the first time. So they would yeah. they would talk about, you know, what do you think's happening or what do you think of this character or what do you think might that might mean or um and Natasha, who's the primary host, is incredibly good uh-huh. at A not giving things away, mostly. Mm-hmm. There are one or two very comedy moments where she accidentally spoils something. Um, oh, no. but uh, <laughs> but she, she kind of coaches the other person through discussing you know, what, what, what do you think about that? Or have you, like, what will you? Um, and we're all sitting there screaming at the podcast, being like, oh, yeah. she thinks it's this thing. <laughs> and at various points, um, the girl who, who hadn't read Harry Potter gets things so phenomenally almost correct mm-hmm. and then talks herself back out of it. Uh, and you're yeah. like, it's just beautiful. But is that shared first time through kind of experience? Um, interestingly, they've just started doing Doctor Who. Oh, uh, I'll have to see that. Yeah, out. it's good. So we're going to go for a break. And when we come back, I'm going to be asking Lindsay for her recommendations for our listeners. Hey, Mr. Oh. Beaver. Why are you beavering around? <laughs> Haven't you heard of Cadbury's Caramel? See, as the thick Cadbury's milk chocolate melts with that dreamy caramel, you just have to take things really easy. Looks like somebody else could do with some. Take it easy with Cadbury's Caramel. And welcome back. So, Lindsay, um, what have you got for us this time round? What would you like to recommend for mm. us? So I have been watching um, a new drama by Russell T. Davis on the BBC uh, called Years and ah, Years. Yes. Um, and mm-hmm. it's fab. It's also slightly disconcerting. Um, it's a kind of near future oh. dystopia. Um, mm-hmm. so it kind of skips a couple of years ahead at a time and we kind of see where the UK is heading <laughs> in this particular iteration um, and the world in general um, but mm-hmm. it is funny and terrifying and poignant all at once and I think for me that's good drama um, mm-hmm. so yeah you might need to be in the right mental space to watch it but it's certainly worth hunting out yeah. um, it's not finished yet I've seen four episodes I think now if I think okay. I assume six, um, but it's on the iPlayer, mm. so it's definitely worth having a wee a wee nose for. I've I've heard it mentioned a few times, and I've seen it come up on the older mm-hmm. homepage, and uh, I just haven't got around to it. So I might have to uh, try and make well, some Russell, time for that. Russell Tovey, I think his name is, is phenomenal. Yes, that's right. He's just so phenomenal, mm-hmm. um, and he's good in everything. So that's not not a huge surprise, yeah. but definitely worth looking out for. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything um, else? I think that's probably the major one. I heard you guys speak about Good Omens. Uh-huh. It's, it's oh, wonderful, that. isn't it? 
Um, mm-hmm. So if you're enjoying that, there's also a really wonderful BBC radio drama adaptation that they did uh, a little while ago. Oh, about. Okay. Um, and again, the BBC just do wonderful audio drama, I think. Um, mm, and it's definitely worth hunting out. I don't believe it's on the iPlayer currently, which is slightly unfortunate, but I'm sure most good retailers... It might be on Audible or something it's like that. It's also on <laughs> not that we're <laughs> suggesting that everybody should acquire no, or listen to these things illegally. Uh, but yes, it's definitely worth hanging no. out if you've enjoyed Good Omens on uh, Amazon. Okay, excellent. Well, my I've got a couple, um, kind of going from one extreme to the other. Um, the first one is Danger Mouse. <laughs> uh, my son has become obsessed with that so I've been watching it too and it's just great fun I remember watching it when I was a kid back in the 80s and uh, so obviously it's all been recast now so you've got uh, Alexander Armstrong is Danger Mouse oh, Wow. Uh, Kevin Eldon is um, Penfold I love Kevin Eldon do you know him? I don't think I do he's, uh, he's very much um, one of the sort of um, regulars in Armando Iannucci's stuff so if you've seen any of his comedies oh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's pretty much ever present you'll see him um he used to be in leon Her- herring's stuff as well back in the 90s um and who else is in it oh um there's a an american counterpart called jeopardy mouse <laughs> yeah. who is uh played by lena heady who's um cersei lannister from game of thrones oh as you do as you do yeah uh, and oh well. Baron Greenback is uh, played by, oh, I've forgotten his name now, but he actually lives, or well, he is from the same part of Exeter that I live in. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, it's just a fun series. Uh, it very much lives up to what the original did, which is sort of spoofing um, contemporary stuff. And it's just a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, my son adores it. So, um yeah, it's nice to sort of sit down and watch something like that with him, which is it's got something that works on another level for, for the adults as well, I think. Absolutely. So, when I was at uni, uh, my nickname was Penfold. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, he's the coolest character in the whole thing, so you should Absolutely, be okay. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah fine. <laughs> uh, and the other thing, which is um, not really that similar, is um, Chernobyl, Ooh. which has been showing on Sky. Now, I don't really have Sky, but I did get the old... Um, viewing past so that I could watch the final series of Game of Thrones. Mm. And uh, that's sort of due to run out in 20-odd days or whatever. So I thought, oh, I'll see what else they've got. And I heard a few people talking about this. And um, if you're of a particular vintage, you will remember the Chernobyl disaster uh, being on the TV uh, news quite a lot. And um, I started watching this just after being quite ill. And... uh, Maybe in hindsight that wasn't the best idea because you're seeing a lot of people with radiation burns and sickness and that kind of stuff. But mm. it's, it's very well done. Um, I'm not sure how many parts it is. I've seen the first three parts. Um, and it's, it's a really good drama. Um, and it's it shows you just... Well, I don't know how much artistic license is given, but it shows you just how close we came to having a massive, massive nuclear disaster. Um, not that far away from, well, certainly where we live. Um, yeah, quite scary, but um, quite intense viewing. I think these things are always interesting. And I, from what I understand it, it's been given a lot of credit for being quite accurate. So mm. certainly one to look out for. Yeah, um, definitely. I am a little young to remember it very clearly, mm-hmm. um, but absolutely it was an important or one of those events that could have changed the world more than it did even. Mm, yeah, quite. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Lindsay. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Not at all. Thank you so much for having me. Is there anything you'd like to give a plug before you go? Or? Oh, not really. Um, like I say, <laughs> I've been talking around, so I don't have a, a permanent presence anywhere. Uh-huh. But I believe I'm, I have been invited to, to make an appearance on another podcast that oh. our beloved Suki has a, an influence on. Suki and John are, I think, starting a new venture. Ah, yes. Ah, so I, um, I might... I might uh, possibly be on another episode of that so you never know yeah well i'm sure our paths will cross again in the near future yeah no doubt no doubt <laughs> uh, but if anybody wants to find me on the twitter sphere you can find me at l h a again i think it's underscore again <laughs> excellent well thank you so much for coming on it's been a real pleasure and uh, maybe you'd like to come back another time we'll talk about something else oh absolutely any chance to talk it's usually a, a positive one in my experience <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much not at all thank you